and welcome to another edition of the Pink Sheets Pharma Regulatory Podcast. I'm Derek Ingery, a senior writer at the Pink Sheet, and I'm joined by senior editor Sue Sutter and executive editor Nielsen Hobbs. Today is June 18th, 2021, and we're observing the new federal Juneteenth holiday for the first time. The day off for federal employees may have been somewhat unexpected given the holiday was enacted yesterday, but there were still a number of FDA-related stories sparking interest leading up to the long weekend. The water cooler story this week, or the one that sparked a lot of conversations among FDA watchers, was Cedar Director Patrizia Cavazzoni's comments during the Bio Bio International Convention about potential changes to advisory committee meetings. Cavazzoni said the agency should, quote, remove some of the emotional undertone or overtone in advisory committees, unquote, including the committee's reaction to public speakers to get, including dealing with the committee's reaction to public speakers to get back to the substance of the meeting. She added that important scientific decisions need to be made, and in recent meetings, the committee can be swayed by emotion in the face of hard facts. The session uh, <clears throat> the session was recorded before the controversial decision to grant an accelerated approval of Biogen's Alzheimer's drug aducanumab was announced. But, but our colleague Sarah Carlin Smith pointed out in the story that Cavazzoni's comments came, even though it, even though in that case, many thought the agency was one, was the one placing a lot of stock in emotional pleas from patients. Now we've all watched our share of advisory committee meetings. I covered the controversial Atepersen uh, adcom that included more than two hours of patient and advocate testimony. Sue, you covered the Aducanumab advisory committee meeting. What do you think of this idea that you know we're 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 getting too emotional here? I admit I had to read Sarah's story two or three times. I was so surprised by Cavazzoni's comments. I, I believe Sarah used the term baffling in her story, and I would agree with that. Um, certainly at the Educanumab meeting, uh, I've been covering advisory committees for more than twenty years, and and I think I tweeted at the time that that was the open public hearing testimony from caregivers and patients themselves was some of the most eloquent uh, testimony I had heard at an advisory committee meeting. Um, It also harkened back to a meeting I covered uh, a few weeks ago back in late May on prevention bios to plizumab to delay type 1 diabetes. There were more than 15 patients, advocates, and researchers who testified at that meeting about the burden and the complexity of managing type 1 disease, type 1 diabetes, and what it would mean to them to be able to delay that even for a year or two. And the committee was very deeply affected by that. They voted in favor of approval, but there were still some, uh, some concerns about the data itself. I mean, the, the idea of sort of taking the emotion out of advisory committee meetings in terms of what the, the public uh, hearing is saying, it kind of runs contrary to FDA's push for patient-focused drug development, in my mind. And I can't imagine that either patient groups or industry is going to be very happy with that idea. Yeah, the the only interpretation for me that makes uh, sense is that the... Uh, Emotion Cavazzoni is talking about is advisory committee members saying mean things to FDA, which is her kind of one, <laughs> one takeaway from the uh, Aducanumab uh, um, advisory committee where they were fairly critical of uh, FDA's approach as opposed to just sort of kind of uh, giving their opinion of the uh, um, of the science. Uh, um, so uh, um, 
if it is for really for this effort to sort of uh, to tamp down on uh, um, you know sort of uh, public uh, um, emotions from uh, you know patients and caregivers, that would be sort of an odd direction for uh, um, FDA to take, and sort of one that uh, um, I think the sponsors would uh, um, not welcome either. So it's a uh, um, an odd turn for her to to, to uh, um, emphasize this to every other uh, um, indicator at the FDA is pointing the other way. I agree with you, Matt, about the comments that some of the advisory committee members made, the harsh comments about the behavior of the FDA in the aducanumab meeting, uh, some of the comments that were made during that meeting. But that sort of criticism during an advisory committee is is fairly rare. I mean, it's not something that happens on a regular basis, in my experience. Yeah, it's it. it, it yeah, I mean that that it's interesting too. And yeah, you know, I I started as I was thinking about this. I, I wonder if we're in kind of, and and to a certain extent, we saw this in kind of after the Tetlerson decision came out, where, um, you know, we're in kind of the we're in kind of recovery mode, if that makes sense, from the decision where everyone was so, you know, that this the shock and the criticism and all this uproar came out. And, you know, and so there's kind of like a knee jerk reaction, maybe to some extent to like, you know, think about some of these these things. And granted that the recording was made before the decision was announced. But, you know, maybe they were anticipating some of that, um, you know, some of that going forward. But I mean, uh, you know, I, I, I don't know, maybe maybe this maybe the the Educanumab uh, um, decision could be an outlier in the grand scheme of things. I, I don't know. Well, it'd be very interesting to see sort of kind of what they uh, what they propose or what they come up with. I mean, you 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 could see the uh, significant blowback if they actually tried to somehow limit uh, public comment. They're already uh, uh, fairly short per comment, and uh, there's not a whole lot of time uh, overall for them. So it's uh, um, hard to see sort of kind of how they could uh, um, even dial that back more without sort of kind of making it completely meaningless. But uh, um, uh, you know, industry, as uh, Sarah mentioned in her uh, um, piece, is also working on some recommendations for uh, the advisory committee. And uh, um, uh, Cavazzoni and Pops uh, talked about uh, how uh, um, a conflict of interest uh, um, uh, may sort of need to be revised in order to sort of change who gets on the uh, on the committee. Uh, um, those could be possible uh, advisory committee changes, and sort of that may sort of kind of change the emotional ten- tenure tenor of uh, um, how things. Uh, um, uh, how things are uh, discussed, uh, perhaps there, uh, um, you know, if there are sort of more uh, um, sober advocates uh, uh, for the product on a, on a committee, uh, um, the public comments themselves will have to be uh, less strenuous, uh, or at least we're kind of uh, um, folks may sort of perceive it that way. But uh, um, it's uh, um, it's something that sort of kind of has uh, been sort of a long time coming in terms of sort of some of the other uh, changes to advisory committees. Uh, you know, we seem to be sort of having fewer advisory, advisory committees uh, um, in recent years, and uh, um, you know, there's continues to be a struggle about uh, conflict, conflict of interest. So, if there are changes on those uh, fronts, it could sort of kind of significantly change or kind of how uh, um, advisory committees are conducted. I also find it interesting that her comments about sort of taking the emotion out of advisory committees came now, um, what, roughly 15 months into the shutdown of such meetings. Everything has been virtual since early March 2020. And my initial reaction to those first few advisory committee meetings after they went virtual was it really takes a lot of the emotion 
out of the meeting because you're not actually seeing the patients in person testifying and there's not a sort of an opportunity for, you know, the occasional cat call from meet audience members who disagree with something that an advisory committee member is saying, which has happened in the past. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I think there are more sterile meetings since they moved to the virtual format. Yeah, I, I keep I'm still thinking about if you wanted if you wanted to do it, how you could do it, because I, I mean, you could I, you, you can't you can't get rid of the the public hearing part of the meeting and you can't just stop people from testifying. So, I, yeah, I, I mean, I, I, yeah, I, I don't I don't even know how you if you wanted to. If you wanted to do it, how you could do it? I mean, could you sit, tell ADCOM members that patient views are important but should not distract you from the science or something? Yeah, I don't yeah, know. Yeah, it so, might come down to a training issue. I mean, the advisory committee members receive some sort of training, mm-hmm. um, some threshold level training, and it might come down to that. I mean, maybe it maybe it comes down to maybe they they try and do some things like you know, try and prevent like kind of these like mass email campaigns to the advisory committee members in advance of the meetings and, you know, things like that, that have been, um, you know, that that have been called out in the past as, as whether they were influential or not, were kind of, you know, kind of emerged as uh, people saw they could exert pressure. No doubt it will be interesting, um, you know, to see what happens um, if Dr. Cavazzoni tries to make, uh, you know, changes to the process. Next up is another interesting comment that Seber uh, Director Peter Marks made during the uh, bioconference. Sue, this this one related to adverse events with uh, gene therapies. Oh. Basically, he acknowledged, you know, there's a lot of exciting developments in the past year in the gene therapy space, but we've also seen a number of adverse events in this space. And his take home message was, that's going to happen. We shouldn't get too bogged down and worried about that. He said, obviously, we're concerned about patient safety. We need to address that. But if we weren't seeing any safety issues whatsoever, then we wouldn't really be pushing the limit, pushing the envelope, as he kept saying, in terms of what we can accomplish with gene therapy. So I certainly don't, you know, he did not intend to to downplay the safety events that some of the high profile safety events we've seen with the gene therapies. Uh, More so, I think he tried to normalize the fact that they're going to happen and we need to deal with that, but not get too upset about them. That's how I took it. Again, is you know th- that may sound completely normal and a any you know perfectly you know uh, rational thing to say, but I just maybe it's just like it's probably just me. I just thought that was a an odd way to phrase it. Maybe maybe it's just I'm surprised to hear people talk about safety events like that because you just don't hear them characterized in that way. Um, you know, especially, you know, in terms of, you know, kind of the greater good of science and how we need to be pushing the boundaries of science to, and, and that sort of thing. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. I, I just wonder if that, if, you know, how that's going to land on, on, uh, you know, people and maybe patients and so forth. Well, part of his, his comment was also that, you know, 
since we are, he used the term bumping into toxicities, he made the point of we're learning as we do this and we're advancing the science as we do this. So that will inform everything we do going forward. Well, it kind of strikes me as the, uh, the pre-market version of the, uh, showing the system is working by uh, withdrawing a drug. You know, through every, every time there's sort of kind of a, uh, a drug safety issue and a, uh, a drug has to be withdrawn, it's uh, um, uh, uh, said that uh, th this just shows how the system's working and this sort of kind of uh, <laughs> adverse event monitoring is doing its job. And just sort of kind of, you know, having uh, toxicity problems in trials just shows that science is working and that sort of, uh, you know, uh, progress is being made. It's sort of kind of, uh, not that those arguments are wrong, but it's just for kind of a, a funny way to frame bad news. That's sort of kind of as, <laughs> as a, as a, uh, as a uh, demonstration of, uh, of, uh, of proper, uh, proper developments. Yeah, the, the other thing that I thought was interesting, maybe, maybe he's just, um, you know, this is kind of like a, uh, just a, you know, targeted at investors and so forth is that, you know, the, the, so you, you quoted in one of the investors in the story talking about how this is these, you know, unsuspect, you know, these safety issues that kind of pop up surprisingly are, um, you know, giving investors pause at this point. Yes, they, uh, uh, Albert Wang from Morgan Stanley, he said these safety issues um, add to the unpredictability that already surrounds gene therapy development and investors hate unpredictability. So <laughs> it is, you know, making them more reluctant um, on top of other, you know, regulatory delays and development delays, more reluctant to invest in the sector. Like I said, interesting comment. It'll be interesting to see kind of what, how, you know, how they move forward on this. But, uh, you know, is this a, another kind of window into into the thinking at, um, you know, at the FDA at this point on that one, on gene therapy as they move forward. Finally, today, we're going to look at the reauthorization effort for the FDA user fee programs. It turns out that multiple congressional offices requested and received a briefing from the FDA and, and industry representatives on the generic drug user fee talks in late May. The members whose offices were at the meeting are not known, but Senator Richard Byrd's office told us that he would be watching the talks closely and wants increased FDA, trans, FDA transparency and accountability. Among the, among the interesting parts of this is that the briefing was conducted even though the Gadufa talks are still ongoing. Indeed, both sides met again June 3rd to continue discussions of issues like complex generics. So with billions of dollars to be paid by industry over the five-year life of the renewed program and legislation required to extend them, is it, no, it is no surprise that members are interested in what's happening with these. But Matt, are you surprised that the briefing was requested with negotiations not even done yet? Well, it, uh, it's certainly a sign that uh, there's some uh, congressional activity afoot on, uh, on this stuff that, uh, you know, if uh, um, staff and uh, um, uh, you know re elected officials waited until uh, they got the, uh, the 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 final documents from uh, uh, FDA, there would be a lot less time to sort of kind of develop their own uh, processes. And uh, um, you know, they're, they're sort of clearly uh, um, interested in sort of, kind of making some uh, changes beyond what uh, um, FDA has to uh, uh, has to say. So it'll be interesting to see how that all. Uh, uh, plays out, but uh, um, I'm not surprised at all that they sort of kind of have their own ideas as, as to sort of kind of what the uh, um, the uh, the user fee agreement should look like. Um, it is a little unusual just, just to sort of kind of to uh, um, to get uh, um, FDA's feeling on uh, um, on that uh, um, before the uh, um, 
negotiations are done because uh, you think that sort of kind of the, the folks who are kind of want to go in a different direction would be sort of kind of talking to uh, industry or uh, um, other advocates. But uh, um, you know, it's just, it's good to sort of kind of getting a uh, broader perspective in, 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 this, in this case. Yeah, it's interesting. Usually, you know, I, I, and I've heard this before that, you know, that the Hill wants kind of, uh, they, they've asked in the past to kind of at least have some sort of be either kept in the loop when the negotiations are ongoing or, you know, kind of, they, I think it, I want to say maybe in like negotiations a couple of cycles ago, there was a, a proposal that never went anywhere to kind of have a member of like congressional representatives, um, office representatives or somebody sitting in on negotiations and that kind of, that, that never really got off the ground. But, you know, you wonder if, um, you know, the, the, this is kind of a, the, the, you know, because they have to vote on the legislation that's going to include these, they want some sort of, at least an, an update on how they're being formulated. So they're not kind of blindsided at the end. Yeah, I agree. That sort of, uh, um, it's probably for the best that they're, uh, they're better informed about the various uh, machinations and potential ideas. Uh, um, you know, it does sort of kind of uh, um, feel like uh, that uh, whatever uh, FDA and industry uh, come up with sort of kind of may just be sort of a, uh, um, a first draft, uh, um, you know, depending on sort of kind of uh, how much uh, um, uh, time on the congressional calendar there is and sort of, kind of how much interest there is in sort of, kind of having a fight about this stuff. It may or may not be a... Uh, a contentious year for uh, um, uh, user fee renewal, but uh, the the more that Congress sort of understands these issues, I think the uh, probably the better for both uh, FDA and industry. Uh, you know, you could certainly see sort of kind of folks uh, um, wanting to be left alone and just sort of kind of do their uh, do their own thing and sort of have uh, um, Congress stay out of it. But that's not the uh, not the structure we uh, we live in, and so to the extent that they, they can kind of get. Uh, um, Get their ideas uh, um, uh, heard uh, in this uh, in this manner, as opposed to sort of more in the heat of a uh, legislative debate. It's probably uh, probably better. Yeah, and you may not you may you know not run into instances where you know kind of they they try to add on things into the package that are already you know kind of codified at least somewhat codified in the agreement or mentioned in the agreement that end up um, you know that may end up you know kind of complicating things. Like I think we saw. Um, last time around, there was a, you know, some kind of priority review um, mechanism in the agreement for generics. And then Congress decided they wanted to make another one. So there ended up being like two of them and they both had kind of different requirements. And it was, a, you know, that there was a, it took a while to get for everyone to kind of understand where all of it was supposed to go and, um, you know, what, what applications fitted where. This is a, you know, like you said, it's it, 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 like you said, it's better. It's better they understand this, you know, going in, so they, you know, you can make uh, better proposals and better for the legislation, you know, um, later on. <clears throat> yeah, I don't think uh, any number of briefings will ever uh, prevent the problem of uh, politicians trying to uh, hamfistedly take credit for things that are already going on. But uh, um, hopefully, it will sort of avoid some uh, um, legislative uh, complications that uh, um, you know that are generally based on confusion. Mm-hmm. Yeah, my my initial reaction to that was, well, maybe they've got something in their mind from a drug pricing perspective that they would like to tack on, you know, to the Christmas tree user fee bill, but they want to see sort of what the nature of the negotiations is first before they um, before they go too far down that road. Yeah, that's certainly a possibility, and I think we'll, you know, 
it, we'll certainly see attempts to, because this bill is a must pass bill, we'll see attempts to stick all kinds of things, you know, in here and it'll just, it'll be up to the committees, um, you know, to kind of decide, you know, what they're going to let go through and, and what they won't, because, you know, like we said, I mean, the, the, the user fees are user fee revenue accounts for a, a huge chunk of the FDA budget. So they have to get this done, uh, you know, by the uh, October of uh, 2022. So. Yeah, that's a great point, Sue. Just given how everything is playing out on the Hill, there's not going to be uh, much of a uh, drug price pricing push. It, it looks like either sort of on its own or uh, as part of this uh, infrastructure and jobs uh, um, package. Uh, um, so this, uh, you know, health must pass legislation uh, next year is probably the uh, the last best chance for uh, um, drug pricing advocates before the uh, midterm elections to uh, get some piece of uh, pricing legislation passed so that could be sort of a real uh, real target for them I mean given that they're they wanted a briefing on Gadufa, it would seem to have implications for generic drug development I don't know if they've requested a same briefing on the Padufa or the Basufa talks yeah, we haven't seen any mentions of that yet, but uh, you know, something we'll be watching for certainly going forward is to to see where the interest, uh, if the interest is brought is widespread or not. Well, that's all for this week. For more, check out our website at www.thepinksheet.com. You can also find this in previous podcast episodes on iTunes, Google Play, TuneIn, SoundCloud, and Spotify by searching for Pharma Intelligence. And if you're so inclined, feel free to give us a review. Thanks again for listening to the Pink Sheet Pharma Regulatory Podcast. I'm Derek Ingery with Sue Sutter and Matt Hobbs. Stay safe, get vaccinated, and we'll see you next time.